When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. With the Bryan brothers topping the rankings for a record eighth year, we talk doubles on the tennis podcast. Does it deserve more airtime on TV? Should it change? We'll ask the questions right here. We'll also review Stockholm, Moscow, Vienna and Luxembourg and work with Carlos Moyer, Mark Villapousis and Gaston Gallio to try to build the perfect player. Well, hello. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We're up to episode 17. 17 Tennis Podcasts. I can't believe I can think of that much to say. Well, if you believe that, you'll believe anything. But yes, we are here, uh, Catherine Whitaker and myself, David Law, and we're here to talk about uh, the tennis week that has been, the tennis week that is to come, all sorts of other things as well, including uh, doubles. What is to be done about doubles? Should anything be done? Is it the perfect sport already as it is? We are inspired by the Bryan brothers who have finished the year number one in the world for the eighth year in total, the fourth year in a row that they've managed to do that. Quite an achievement, really is a record achievement, in fact. And it did get me thinking, do they get enough credit? Do they get enough attention? And is there anything that the game should be doing to improve all of that. Uh, So we'll be discussing that. Uh, We'll also be trying to create the perfect player a little later today in the tennis podcast with the help of Carlos Moya, the former world number one, Mark Philippoussis, a Wimbledon finalist of 2003, and Gaston Gaudio, who won the French Open in 2004. We'll also have Uh, Well, we'll hear about them and we'll also give our own thoughts uh, about what the perfect player is. And I don't think any of my strokes are going to get into the perfect player conversation, Catherine. No, apparently it is okay to say your own shots, but perhaps not for us. Who's been saying that? Well, I'll I'll leave that to be revealed, but a couple of them do say their own shots. One of the players has said that one of his own shots Two of the should be part of the perfect player. Two, Two of, of them. The Crikey. They so are Dave, a bit pleased have, with themselves, can, aren't you they? You can throw your backhand in there if, if you want. Wow. Anything well, goes. I'm going I'm I'm to nominate my talking. Does that count? And I don't even think that that's, that's fair, really, when I consider the other, uh, 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 the other candidates for, uh, for broadcasting about tennis. Maybe I'm about number 85 in the world when it comes to talking about tennis. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Catherine and I are here, and we have been taking a, a very keen look at uh, the tennis world over the past week, as we always do. And, uh, well, it's been interesting, hasn't it? I mean, it started uh, in Stockholm, um, uh, Stockholm, Moscow, Vienna, Luxembourg. They've all had tennis tournaments this week. There are tennis tournaments everywhere, Catherine. 
Yeah, it's that real end of season feeling, isn't it? Where you you sort of tempted to feel like things are winding down, but actually there's there's still an awful lot going on, and in many ways it's building up to the year end championships. So um, yeah, it's still lots to be excited about in the tennis world, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you look at the uh, some of the results as well, they're interesting as well because Stockholm, which uh, where the tournament is organised and run by Jonas Bjorkman and Thomas Johansson, of course, very popular former players, and they've really thrown themselves um, heart and soul into organising the tournament in Stockholm. And from everything I've seen on Twitter, they've been posting pictures and and uh, recording details of the events. It sounds like they've done a really good job. I mean, I suppose they would say that. But uh, certainly everything I've seen has been very positive, and, and I would expect nothing less from those two. And they got a final that really was the sort of final they would have wanted. Thomas Burditch against Joe Wilfred Songer, a real heavyweight clash, and it sounded like it was a cracking final as well, Burditch eventually winning it. Yeah, wish wish I could have been there. That's a hard-hitting purists match, I suppose, isn't it? And good to see uh, good to see Burditch, who, as we've discussed on the tennis podcast, can be a bit up and down and frustrating. Um, good to see him... Uh, reaching his potential um shame for songa but given that he had to retire from his last final um just the fact that he's fit and healthy has got to be a good thing and it looks like he probably will hang in there to get eighth spot and qualify for the world tour finals i think yanko tipsarovic is most likely uh, got too much to to uh, to make up i mean who knows it's still he's not officially qualified but that's how it looks at the moment so, well, uh, Burditch was announced today. Uh, Thomas Burditch officially announced as the uh, as the sixth man to qualify today. So that means that we have Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Andy Murray, Rafael Nadal? Question mark, of course. David Ferrer, Thomas Burditch have all qualified so far. One Martin Del Potro is in number seventh seven position uh, and then in eighth is Joe Wilfred Songer with as you said Tip Saravich down in ninth and of course Tip Saravich will know that really the chances are Nadal may well not be there so so you know he doesn't need to just go with his rackets as an alternate like he did last year he may well get in as of right no and and even if he doesn't get in as of right before the event last year he came in halfway through didn't he and uh, got a couple of matches so I think I, I don't have stats on it to hand but I think the years have shown that pretty often the uh, the first alternate does have does have a chance to play one way or another so um, I don't think he'll be he'll be uh, too disappointed to finish in ninth place obviously eighth would be preferable but all yeah. is not lost well, you- you you get a few pennies uh, thrown your way yes. uh, if you turn up as alternate. You know it's not like you do too badly out of it. You get to stay in a five star or a ten star exactly. hotel or whatever. It's just it a is. nice so, little London uh, holiday, isn't it? In November. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think you've talked talked me into it, Catherine. <laughs> I think I might. Uh, you know, I'm going to take a wild card next year into all the tournaments and try and qualify for the ATP World Tour Finals. Do you think I'll make it? I think that would be a good. Good tennis podcast running joke. Let's watch David try and qualify for the Barclays ATP World Tour Finals. Do you think I could win one point against any tennis player in the world? That is something in the top I've, I've often wondered. I remember my dad once asked his tennis coach about 15 years ago if I had coaching um, every hour of the day for the next 10 years of my life, could I serve like Andy Roddick and... 
he was disappointed to find out that the answer was absolutely not um and that was that so um yeah but let, let's let's say let's say that i face roger federer right yeah. best of could five you get sets. one point could i get one point i think over five sets federer, federer usually serves one double fault doesn't he <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> that's realistic um <laughs> Yes, I've, uh, I've, anyway, I we, must. I must mention at this point that we've never seen one another play tennis. So this is all. No, we haven't, have we? Yeah. Hey, did you know that Roger Federer has seen me play tennis? God, I, oh. That is name dropping of the most gratuitous, grotesque yeah. style, isn't it? Isn't but, that awful? Yeah, I can't imagine anything worse than having Roger Federer see me play tennis. I mean, if there's any way to make sure nobody could ever respect me again, it's to have them watch me play tennis. Do you know how he saw me play? How? Because I was down the other end of the court hitting with him. Can you believe that? Oh, I had five minutes worse, on court David, with Roger Federer. Worse. Honest? Yeah, I'm going to do some more name dropping now. Um, but, it, you know, it was a, when was it? It was in 2001. And it was a couple of months after he'd beaten uh, Sampras at Wimbledon. And I went to interview him in, uh, in Biel in uh, Switzerland where he, he was at his training base. He was coming back from injuries, uh, having a really difficult time of things uh, at the time. I mean, it was, it was that difficult stage where he wasn't quite making the breakthrough. You know, he'd had that amazing result against Sampras, but there were still the question marks, you know. And he, he was went still to losing the, first he, round to Louis Horner at, at the French yeah, Open, that yeah, sort of he, thing. He, he, went, he went to the US Open and then he, he, he got to the fourth round and he played Agassi and he got absolutely smashed by Agassi uh, in the fourth round. And then, uh, and then it was in September. In fact, I think it was two days after September 11 uh, in 2001 when I interviewed him. So it was the first flight I took uh, after, that, after that disaster. And I remember feeling really quite on edge about going and I think everybody who got on a plane was at that time, and uh, and I remember talking to Federer about it, and uh, and his coach, um, the late uh, Peter Carter, who was a lovely fellow who tragically died um, shortly after um, in in an accident uh, on, on safari. Um, but um, I interviewed his whole team uh, there, Federer, and then I, as part of the article, I said uh, I said to him. Or, or we agreed that I, I could have five minutes on court to find out what it was like to play against his his forehand topspin shot, which he nicknamed the cliffhanger because he put so much spin on the ball with it. And, uh, well, I did swing and miss a few times, I have to be honest. Not, not only did I not win points, I was actually struggling to even hit the ball. Um, which, well, there uh, you go. You know, That's your question answered, yeah. isn't it? No, yeah. I did hit. Answer, I did. No. I did hit a couple of haymakers in his direction. And I thought, you know, you know what, Roger, have a bit of this one, <laughs> and um, and and he just sort of. I think it was all he could he do just, not to just laugh. flick his hair yeah. out of his eyes in classic Roger. Yeah, Ferris I mean, and it, it, it was, it was in, he was in the he was in the ponytail days, so he had the headband on. Ah, right. uh, but it, but I mean, he, you know, it was all he could do not to laugh at every shot I hit. I think, to be honest. Um, but you know, fair play to him, gentleman as always. He if managed only it. YouTube anyway, had been around in those days. Yeah, you know, when we did the the podcast running order, I really didn't have name drop Roger Federer on the list, but you know. It just sort of came up. So, um, <laughs> sorry about Funny that. Enough. Yeah, but there we are. Anyway, apologies, uh, tennis podcast listeners. I'll try to uh, keep uh, keep all that um, nauseating uh, uh, name dropping to to a minimum from here on. Uh, we were talking about uh, Stockholm, weren't we? And uh, Bjorkman and Johansson. 
Um, and of course, Thomas Johansson coaches Caroline Wozniacki, so he had a little bit of a, a problem trying to, to do both jobs, I would have thought, yes. last week, running his tournament in Stockholm. And uh, and it seems as though she's better off without him because she won the title. Yeah, in, uh, not, in not a good advert for his coaching skills, is it? But, no, um, not really. No, good week for Thomas Johansson, though. Brilliant week. Absolutely brilliant week. And I mean, um, for Caroline Wozniacki, I, I'm I'm really quite quite impressed with that, that win because she beat Sam Stosa 7-5 in the third. I think it was her 20th title now. And I just wonder whether, whether Caroline Wozniacki is going to make fools out of us all now because she's got a great attitude as a tennis player. She's quite easy to write off. She's, quite, she's been quite an easy target the last couple of years, being world number one and not really fulfilling it at the slams. But, you know, I think there's, there's, uh, the, there are signs there that the, the things are turning. What would you count as making fools of us all, though? I mean, you're not talking getting back to number one territory, are you? Are we talking sort of getting back top five or six? That sort of well, that I mean, I'm not even looking at the rankings. I'm talking about her coming out at, at the Australian Open and looking like a contender. I, yeah. Now, I'm not saying she will be. I'm not saying she will be. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. What do we think? I think it's definitely possible. I mean, yes, she her being didn't sit quite right. Um, her being world number one. However, it also doesn't sit quite right that she's she's not going to be in Istanbul next week either. Um, so so yes, it would be nice to see her be a contender in in the big tournaments again. And I certainly think it's it's within her grasp if she continues to show the attitude that she she did last week. Absolutely, I do agree. Yes, no, it's it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see how um, how she gets on. I, I think she overplays. I think she's played too many uh, too many tournaments over the last couple of years. I think she's trying to cram in as much as she can, and I don't I, don't, I doubt if it's financially motivated. I think she just um, I think she just loves playing, and I think that sooner or later, tennis players have to learn how to peak for the big tournaments, mm-hmm. and I think that she needs to do that. Um, um, and I, I hope she can because um, you know she's a good story for tennis, and uh, and I think with Thomas Johansson, she's probably likely to learn a few things, uh, not just about how to hit the ball, but how to manage herself as a tennis player. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about um, the other tournaments of uh, of last week. Uh, the Kremlin Cup on the men's side was won by uh, Andrea Seppi beating Thomas Bellucci, um, and I read a nice little quote from Seppi talking about Yevgeny Kafelnikov, who basically owned that tournament uh, in the in the 90s uh, he won it five years in a row did uh, Yevgeny Kafelnikov and Seppi said I, I was I, I saw him a few times during the week and I was too embarrassed I was too shy to go and say hello he was my hero oh bless him the irony is that Yevgeny Kafelnikov is probably too shy to say hello to him because he's a pretty shy guy himself yeah so, um, yeah he, he is isn't he yeah That's he is right. he is he's, he's an interesting one Yevgeny yeah, indeed. And in, in Vienna, Juan Martín del Potro won the title there, so he's uh, he strengthened his position in seventh position in that race to uh, the ATP World Tour Finals, as we discussed. Still waiting to see if del Potro can rediscover that last sort of 10% that he had when he won the US Open. Uh, I, I'm sure it is going to come eventually if he can just play sort of injury-free long enough. I would love to see that. I would absolutely love to see it. I'm I'm worried because I just think a wrist injury is is something that it's just having the confidence in it, isn't it? To to I mean, 
even even if you if even if you're not feeling any niggle to be so 100% confident in it to 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 play with with total freedom it, that's a different thing to just being physically healthy i think um and i think that's part of it um I would just love to see him back where he was though when he won the uh, when he won the US Open 09. That would be fantastic for tennis. I'm look, I mean, uh, World Tour Finals this year. It's looking like five of the eight um, will be Grand Slam champions, which is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, no, it really is. Absolutely. Um, I think we're in for a cracking week in the, in London at the O2. Um, it, it's a really heavyweight field developing there now. Um, and in Luxembourg, I'd say probably the story of the week, really. The story of, uh, you know, great, a great good news story. Venus Williams winning the title after all the health problems she's had. Here she is in her, what is it, 15th, 16th year as a tennis professional, into her 30s now, had all those health issues. And she goes to Lux- Luxembourg, of all places, and wins the title. I, I think that is a real testament to, to her dedication to be a tennis player and to get back to where she wants to be yeah i couldn't agree more david be so easy for her to to walk away i mean obviously not easy even the circumstances of of her decline over the past couple of years it's it's a terrible story really but an absolute testament to her and as you say just a, a, a wonderful news story for tennis really and um, I'm sure everyone is is delighted for her, and and now it raises questions about when she will when she will walk away. Maybe this is making her think, oh, perhaps I'll give it one more go. You know, she's always going to be a contender at Wimbledon, provided she's halfway healthy. So, who knows? We'll have to wait and see for next year, won't you? I'm sure she'll have some uh, evaluating to do during the off season. So that's the week that's just gone, and the week coming up we'll see the men's tour go to Basel, uh, a tournament I, I was uh, lucky enough to go to a number of years uh, during my ATP days, going back to I think my first year there was 1998, and I think I saw the probably probably the best final that I've ever seen um, on the uh, on the tennis circuit, uh, you know, close up between uh, Tim Henman and Andre Agassi. It was certainly the best match. I've ever seen Tim Henman play, and he beat Agassi, I think, in four sets and, and really took him apart that day in Basel, indoors. Um, so there's that, that event where uh, Federer is going to be playing. I know that Andy Murray has pulled out uh, with a back uh, complaint. I, I think as much as anything, he's <coughs> he's probably just looking for a bit of a rest, Catherine, because yeah. you know it's so, it's so relentless, isn't it? He's had all the Asian swing, and, and then he knows Paris is coming up, and then obviously he, he was injured in London halfway through last year, and he'll want to avoid that fate that this time that's it isn't it he's um he's aiming to peak for london this year rather than arrive feeling exhausted and and jaded and everything so um you can't blame him really federer going for a sixth title in basel which is pretty staggering yeah absolutely and uh and in valencia uh, is another big event with uh, plenty of top players uh playing there as well and and I think it's the it's it's going to see the uh, the swan song of Juan Carlos Ferrero isn't it that tournament yeah it is which is uh, it's another strange one isn't it i mean it it feels apt with with Andy Roddick retiring a couple of months ago because Ferrero was the world number 1 that Andy Roddick dethroned as i remember um, and of course Ferrero was the That's man right. beaten by Roddick to win his his US Open title you know they were very much they peaked they peaked in the same year, didn't they, in 2003, both very young. And 
Ferrero's drop away was was more um, more vast than um, but than Roddick's. But you know he's been he's been there or thereabouts. I mean it's an interesting debate whether he became any worse a tennis player or whether he just capitalised on a period in the game. You know post Sampras pre Federer. Um, Good question that. I've, I've often wondered that, but especially especially with the the rise of Rafael Nadal, that that really signalled to me almost the change of the generation because Ferrero was was the Nadal of his day. I remember yeah, I remember when he first he came along, um, and and I asked Alex Kareccia, "What do you know about this guy Ferrero? He's he's winning a lot of challenges. He's starting to get into main draws." And Kareccia just said, this guy is unbelievable. I mean, his forehand is so good. He moves so quickly. He's going to be unbelievably good. Um, and, and he was. Although yeah, when the he year, lost he, the, the year uh, he won the French, he, he looked absolutely unbelievable. He did. He? I mean, also, the, the I think the year, though, he lost to Count Albert Costa in the final was a, was a big blow to him. I think that that was the, the one one moment where people questioned whether he was going to you know be able to fulfill his potential but for a couple of years and of course he got to the US Open final as well in in 03 as you mentioned losing to Roddick there um but you know he's been a great a great player to have on the on the circuit i mean he, he he's and he's a very nice fella as well i mean pretty shy um but but i always found him to be a really nice fella yeah absolutely and a and a very um pleasant uh pleasant game on the eye i think you know lovely smooth style lovely um two-handed backhand i mean i i don't think it's any coincidence that you had hewitt ferrero roddick all in that bunch together at number one and winning a couple of grand slams in that gap between you know sampras agassi era and federer nadal era i think yeah i think Um, i think it also shows just how impressive federer is that he's managed to evolve his game in a way that probably Ferrero and Hewitt were unable to do. I mean, I think Hewitt has tried, but, you know, they they were a certain type of player that dominated that era, and you may say they just weren't as good as, as the ones in the current era, but but I think that that says a lot about Federer, that Absolutely. he was able to, 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 to change his game, or at least adapt it and improve it enough, uh, and it was good enough to still be able to, to regularly beat the Djokovic and Murray and Nadal's of uh, of the of the circuit today. So absolutely, quite there's more to it really. than just being just being a good tennis player, isn't there? No, there really is. There really is. A um, few other little bits of uh, housekeeping before we get on to our discussion points of the day. Uh, the Statoil Masters Tennis, which we're uh, looking forward to after the O2 uh, ATB World Tour Finals. Uh, the, the Masters at the Albert Hall takes place the 5th to the 9th of December. And uh, the Winter White Scala, which takes place on the Saturday, the 8th of uh, December, during that uh, week, is now going to be headlined by an unbelievable Unbelievable array of tennis greats from the past. Uh, Bjorn Borg is going to be in town. Boris Becker will be back. Ivan Lendl, Chris Evert, all under the same roof as John McEnroe for the Winter White Scala on Saturday the 8th of December. Some of them will be playing as well. Certainly McEnroe will be on court. And I know Goran Ivanisevic and Tim Hemmen are going to be playing against each other that night. The others will be watching. Maybe Lendl will play, but uh, uh, that's unconfirmed. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right confirmed at this point but uh, certainly Borg and Everett and Becker will be in the crowd it's going to be really something and tickets are available now for the Statoil Masters Tennis and in particular that Winter Whites Gala on the 8th of December so do uh, check out the Statoil Masters website or the Royal Albert Hall box office um, the Bryan brothers we mentioned earlier on their eighth year as the season ending number one team Catherine and the fourth in a row what a team they are Absolutely. What a team they are. Yeah. I mean, what more is there to say? Eight years in a row, they're, they're sensational. And they Not don't in a row, look... I don't think, but overall. Oh, but sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and they don't look to be going anywhere, do they, anytime soon? They look to be enjoying it as much as they ever have. Um, yeah, sensational. And and you've got to wonder where doubles would be without them. I mean, it's already in a, in a bit of a wilderness, certainly more of a wilderness than most people would like it to be in. And, and they are, you know, the shining beacon um, of, of the doubles game. And without them, um, well, who knows where, where the sport would be. So, um, And yet, Catherine, if you go to a tournament and you see some of the, the tennis that, they, that these guys play, and there are a lot of good doubles teams around, you think of Murney and, and Daniel Nestor and, and Zimanich and, and, uh, and players like that, that that play regular doubles. And I mean, if you actually decide to watch some of these matches, they are fantastic matches, some of oh, them, it's and the so, things they can do. It's so viewer-friendly, doubles, and it's so accessible to, to the armchair viewer. I mean, every time Wimbledon comes around and all my... Friends and acquaintances that you know just have a two week per year interest in in Wimbledon or whatever. The number of them that comment to me about you know the mixed doubles final that they've seen or you know or or, or whatever and say, "Gosh, I never knew doubles was was so entertaining." And 
and really getting into it and and ju- it's just in, it's just so enjoyable to watch and accessible um does anything need to be done about it to change it then because well, I think it you does know for whatever reason it doesn't get enough attention does it no because there's nothing fundamentally wrong with with the game of doubles that means that people can't be more interested in it i i absolutely don't think there is i think it's i mean i think it's a vicious circle and a self-fulfilling prophecy that you know, people don't know the personalities in the game. You know, Brian Brothers aside, I think you have to take them as a slightly separate entity. Brian Brothers aside, people don't know the personalities. So without personalities and, and, and well-known stars, you know, networks don't want to give it coverage. But then it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Because, you know, people aren't going to get to know the personalities and aren't aren't going to become well acquainted with the sport Unless it's given coverage, so um, so something has to change on that side of it. I think. I also don't understand. I understand all the scheduling issues. Um, you know, I, I do understand how weary these guys get. However, I mean, John McEnroe used doubles as his practice. Why don't more players do that? Use doubles as a form of as a form of practice. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I mean, I put this out on Twitter earlier on uh, tonight. Uh, you can get in touch with us at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. Send us any questions you like. We'll uh, we'll read your name out. We'll we'll talk about what you've got to say here on the uh, on the Tennis Podcast. I mean, uh, just just go through a few of these. Um, Kev Kelleher was one of the first to get in touch. He said, quite simply, you've got to get more high profile singles players. In the in the sport in doubles to get more attention to get more hype, uh, as as he puts it, and and I mean I think that's a very very good point. I mean you know if uh, if you had just imagine for a second if you had um, regularly the Bryan brothers facing Roger Federer and Andy Murray, for instance, just imagine that. Who who wouldn't go and watch that? Well, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, we've had a couple of suggestions on. On Twitter, um, somebody suggested that um, a certain number of it should be mandatory for the top players to have to enter a certain number of doubles tournaments per year, and maybe that is. I mean, I I don't. Yes, know and who I'd... was that person? That that person. Should we just? We've just got the name, name check. Everybody. We, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. That was uh, David Levy, a friend of ours, uh, uh, somebody we work with from time to time, who who uh, has lots and lots of big opinions on the sport and uh, on, on any sport, and in fact on any walk of life. And that his view is that uh, we should be making it mandatory for singles players to play five double tournaments, five doubles tournaments a year. I think it's got to be a lot more than that. I think it's got to be more than that, and I, I, I see, I see the positives in that, um, in that sort of strategy. However, I think it's sad that that that, you know, having enforcement of that kind might be necessary. I don't know why 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 players aren't a bit more inclined to play, play doubles. As I say, not necessarily heaping extra on their schedule, but but doing it in, instead of practising, you know. I mean, look at the Olympics where, you know, in pursuit of, of gold for their country, pretty much everybody entered or wanted to enter the doubles and, and we'll never know whether Murray would have won gold if he hadn't also been entered in into the doubles and had a great run there. But I'm sure it can't have hurt and it certainly hasn't, hurt Laura Robson's uh, career since the Olympics has it to, to have had a good run in the mixed at the Olympics um, and also uh, the other thing is, is how much it helps the tournaments you know it gives you it, it, on, it gives you on your schedule you know you get the the big names out there um, 
uh, you know, and you can get them on some of the smaller courts and some of the, um, you know, people that have just paid for a ground pass can come and see some some top, top names um, with just a grounds pass. I think I think it would be good for everybody if doubles um, had a higher profile across the board. But um, how we do that is uh, is a different matter. Well, we, we should nod our head to uh, Poppy Forrest on uh, Twitter, who, who who brought this up a week ago and has had a little bit of a moan at us because uh, we didn't bring it up uh, on on the podcast. Well, we will now, Poppy, because uh, uh, she mentions the fact that, uh, that there simply isn't enough TV coverage of doubles. You don't need to change it. You just need to get it on the TV. And, you know, I think that there's there's some, some sense to what she's saying there because... You know, the, the, they do during the O2 ATP World Tour Finals. Sky Sports in the UK, they really cover the doubles properly. And, and, I mean, they put that event on as the appetizer for the main course of the singles. And they are playing to full houses of 15,000 people. And it is fantastic to, to, to watch. And you, you can see the look on the players' faces. They can't believe their luck. Uh, it's it's great to see. Um, just a, another couple of uh, suggestions on Twitter. One here from AJD1987 uh, on Twitter who says, Give the men wooden rackets. Men's doubles is too quick and it could t- it could make it much more interesting if they had to play with wooden rackets. How about that? Well, hang on. They've just spent the last few years trying to speed up doubles, haven't they? Get rid- Getting rid of... Oh, uh... yeah. No, no. Well, that's fine. But he's talking about the rallies. Ah. Well, yeah, the, there's, the power, there's a fair few people aspects. that would argue for bringing back wooden rackets across the board, though, aren't there? How cool would that be, though, just to make doubles a wooden rackets-only competition? I'd love that. I don't think that would help in encouraging the top players to play, though, would it? If they were having to change uh, you know, you know what? Would, you know what so. would encourage the top players to play? And this is my idea. Um, and it's, well, it's not only my idea. I think a lot of people think this as well. Just have a combined singles and doubles ranking and make every single player play every single event, singles and doubles. And, you know, where would the Bryans brothers be in the ranking list then? If you had a combined ranking list. Because, I mean, I've seen Bob Bryan beat Tim Henman on grass at Queen's. Okay, he's not not a world beater in singles, but he is a world beater in doubles. You know, where would he where would he be? I'd be fascinated to to know. Um, I mean, a few people were coming back and saying, "Well, players just can't play that much these days." But I I don't know. I just think you you mentioned the Olympics. They do it there. Maybe players should play less uh, less weeks, um, but more tennis during the actual tournaments they do play and play some doubles. And as you say, um, maybe you reduce the size of the draws, or in some way, um, uh, or they just use doubles rather than pounding it out on the practice court all day I think there's a lot to be said for that and um, I'm not a professional tennis player so I can't give an insight to why players aren't really aren't really doing that these days but hey if it worked for John McEnroe it, it can't be that bad a policy can it <laughs> I like the suggestion of uh, Yasushi Akiyama on Twitter who says uh, you can no more lets in uh, in uh, doubles uh, so if the ball hits the top of the net you just play the point and how about this one either player of the receiving team can return the serve as long as as long as it's on the right side of the court so you can just uh, go and intercept the serve if it's going to the other player I quite like that it'd be particularly interesting in mixed I think um yeah I th- I mean I, that would only have a significant impact on 
a handful of points per match, but it would still make it more interesting. But as I've said, I, I don't think the problem is with is with the game itself, is with the doubles game. I think it's perfectly entertaining, exciting, absorbing. I think the problem is with, with making people realise that, really. What about what Chris Jones of the Evening Standards had to say? A colleague this of ours in the press room. This is my personal favourite suggestion. He, he, says, he says the players should be tied together with a length of elastic, three metres long. I think that would be a different sport altogether, though, wouldn't it? It'd be like <laughs> It'd be like tennis. dodgeball. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. I want to see that. I, I want to see that the Bryan brothers quick, flying around the court on a, on a bungee jump attached <laughs> to each other. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well, we made the point to everybody out there that uh, that John McEnroe quite happily made a career out of playing singles and doubles, but uh, uh, a few people decided to argue with me on that one. Um, but uh, anyway, it's 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 a it's an interesting uh, conversation. It's one that uh, I think we'll have uh, many more times. We'll try to speak to the Bryan brothers when we're down at the O2 if we can get their thoughts. I'd love to know what they think, um, and maybe one or two others. Um, but uh, do let us know if you have any other other bright ideas of, of what we might be able to do uh, to improve doubles or just keep it as it is not a problem if you, if you, you know if you don't want to change it you don't have to change it uh, but we're just uh, we're just throwing it around as a subject what we're also going to do this week here on the tennis podcast we mentioned earlier is try to create the perfect player and we've got a bit of help from a couple of big time players uh not just giving our own opinions, we're going to hear from Gaston Gaudio, the 2004 French Open champion. We're going to hear from Carlos Moyer, a former world number one. And we're going to hear from Mark Philippoussis. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask each of them to give their opinion on a forehand that they would choose for the perfect player, a backhand, a serve, a volley, the movement of any player in the world, and the mental strength of any player in the world. So we'll take each one of those, uh, one of those uh, skills, and we will ask each of those three players for their opinion. Here's what they think. Forehand. I mean, Ivan Lindel looks sweet. You know, like as a kid watching. Maybe I see Ivan Lindel. Gonzalez and maybe Sambras. Forehand. Federer. Backhand. Guga had a beautiful backhand. Djokovic. Important. Can I have two guys? Uh, I, I mean, backhand. There's two backhands, you know, with two-handed mm-hmm. backhands and one with one-handed. Mine was pretty good. Querten was pretty nice too. Mm-hmm. With two-handed, um, Safin, Agassi, Djokovic. Serve. Karlovic. Uh, Sampras. Shit, I'm gonna stick up for myself. I'm gonna say me. I like my serve. Volley. Uh, Stefan. Edward. Edberg. Movement. Korea. Rafa. Djokovic, he's a joke. He's, how can he slide three metres on hard court? And mental strength. Hewitt. Nadal. Rafa along with Djokovic, I would say right now. But probably Rafa. So that was uh, Carlos Moyer, Gaston Gaudio and Mark Philippoussis creating their perfect player. So Catherine, what do you think? Gaston Gaudio has gone for a Federer with his forehand and uh, we've heard Lendl talked about. We've talked Gonzalez, Sampras. can't believe Rafael Nadal's not getting a vote there. What do you think? Uh, my vote would go with Federer. Um, I think he was able to hit shots on the forehand that other people can't and I think it's reliable um you just i would if i had to you know 
bet my life on anyone's forehand, it would be Roger Federer's. You know, yeah, of course, Fernando Gonzalez's backhand is explosive and, and mind-blowing, but uh, but would you trust it not to let you down on on the biggest point? I'm not sure you absolutely would. So, um, What about the running forehand of Pete Sampras, though, when he was stretched out wide, my word? Yeah, but that's, that's a niche forehand. We're talking overall forehand here, David. Oh, right, I see. Oh, we get, we're getting we're getting all technical. Yeah, now, I mean, we? I was a bit oh, annoyed right. with the guys that they that they decided to pick a single-handed and a double-handed backhand. I thought that was cheating. Oh, come a on, bit, no, but... I I think it's perfectly fair enough to have a single-handed and a double-handed choice. In fact, that's what we're going to do. We'll do first of all, we'll do an overall double-handed. Sorry, an overall backhand. If you could have any backhand of any type in the world, and Catherine Whitaker could hit it. Who should you choose? Oh, I'm going to go with Guga. I, I'm a bit of a sucker for a one-handed backhand. Or maybe um, I am a woman after all. Maybe Justine Enner. There we go. Yeah, he's, hers isn't bad, is it? I wouldn't mind. Uh, I wouldn't mind Gaston Gaudio since he says himself. <laughs> oh, it's that good was of one you of my favourite moments. <laughs> I do love that moment. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid, sorry, Gaston, I'm not going for that. Uh, nice backhand, though, you have. Um, I think I would probably go if I could have any backhand in Hang the Hang on, world. no, you said any single-handed, because I've got a different choice on the double-handed. No, I said any backhand of any type, first of all. Did you? All right, I'll yeah, stick with then Guga. We do, then, we, then we divide them. So Guga is your single-handed yeah. and your overall, and I'm going to go for... Uh, of all backhands on the planet, I'm going to go for Stefan Edberg. Ooh. There you go. Who stylish. An absolute beauty. Mm. Uh, a very stylish backhand indeed. Um, and uh, and for your double-hander, who would you have? I would have Marit Safin. I love that jump, wow. that jump background. What about Novak Djokovic? <sighs> what about Andy Murray? Well, I'm sort of con- contradicting myself What about Andre Agassi? I'm contradicting myself a bit because I think Novak Djokovic's backhand is more reliable than Marit Safin's was, but then everything about Djokovic is more reliable than Marit Safin was. I just, I could watch Marit Safin hit a backhand over and over again. Um, and I, yeah, I, that jump backhand that he used to hit, the timing on that was just glorious. That's the sort of backhand I dream about. I do, I do like Safin's backhand, I must admit. That is a, that is a beauty. Uh, I'd probably go for Andre Agassi overall because... You know, I think we, we the one area we didn't include in this uh, in this survey was return, and I think uh, you know there's never been a better backhand return than that of Andre Agassi. The way he could just take it on the rise and mm. and just take the play away from opponents. And back then, of course, it was all serve and volley. So you know, and when he won Wimbledon in '92, what a mm. what a story! Well, he it was just half so the, half volleying from the from the baseline, wasn't he? Half the time he was, yeah, he was. And the serve, um, Mark Philippoussis. Uh, likes his own serve. You can understand why. Karlovic gets a vote. I'd have to go with Sampras. Yep, agreed. Sampras. Sorry, Goran. An ace, an ace on every Sampras. big point. You just knew it was coming every time. Break point. And the oh, second serve. You know, the, the 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 second serve is the one that is is always, I think, referred to by people who really, you know, it's not the spectacular serve but it is the, it is always in the court it's always heavy 
and it's always know, got something on it, hasn't it? It's, it's never you know, just you know how they, they talk about how how players get their serves attacked, their second serves attacked. I don't think you could ever feel that you could attack Sampras's second serve. No, quite right. Not unless you're Andre Agassi, maybe <laughs> at his at his absolute peak. Um, so volley. What have you got for volley? They've all gone for Edberg. Anybody, any any dissenting voice over there? Uh, I, I would have gone for McEnroe, I think. There we go. Nobody went for McEnroe. I was a bit surprised by that. But, you know, I, th- I think the, the division with the two players is that McEnroe was always re- regarded as the player with the touch um, yes. on, the vo- on the volley, whereas Edberg's... He just came in and just knifed these volleys away, and you just, you just stood there and watched them flash past you. You had no chance. Amazing to think of all these, all these serves and volleys and all these strokes. Boris Becker doesn't even get a mention. No, sorry, Boris. <laughs> you're on the short yeah, list. Boris, you're on the short list. If you're if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, um, you, uh, you you're not on the list, mate. You're so, on. Our, you, he's on. Right. He's number one of. He's on the dive volley list. There we go. You're, you're on the reserves, <laughs> all right. Uh, anyway, movement. Um, we've uh, we've had a few votes for uh, for Nadal and Djokovic, and you can understand why Guillermo Correa is an interesting one. He certainly moved in a in a floating kind of uh, butterfly style, didn't he, uh, around the court? But but I would probably go for Bjorn Borg. What about what about you? Oh, interesting. I uh, I would have gone for Rafa or in his absolute prime, Hewitt, I think. But if I had to pick yeah, someone, probably Rafa, particularly on clay, because the way he slides is, you know, it was like he was born on a clay court. Um, it's just so, such second Maybe nature, the sliding. Um, so I would, I would go with Rafa. Okay, and then mental strength. We have uh, we have Nadal and Hewitt having been mentioned. I mean, I think it, it's hard to look past. For me, it'd be hard to look past Nadal, Federer, Borg, or um, Djokovic. I thought I'd just you know I'm just narrowing it down. Yeah, yeah, you're being really outrageous with your suggestions there. I'd put Federer in there as well, just because his his. I said Federer. Did you? Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. I zoned out because right. your suggestions were so obvious. <laughs> it just went on for so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Federer, it just it, it, the the Bjorn Borg. Thing, I mean, Bjorn Borg started it all back in the seventies. But just the iciness, you know, that's that's sort of why I've never, for all of my objective appreciation of Federer as a absolutely magnificent tennis player, I've never quite been able to to really support him in matches, partly because it's the underdog isn't a thing, isn't it? You know, Brits love an underdog and he just never is one. Um, but also he just looks so icy cool and so impenetrable. It's just quite hard to... I suppose it's it's empathy, isn't it? It's quite hard to... I just... He just looks totally impervious to anything um, and that's a testament to his to his mental toughness, I would say. Made it made him the coolest tennis player, and, I'm, and no pun intended there. But that is, he was he was Mister Cool. I mean, every you know, people wanted to be the guy. I mean, he is so cool, uh, and you kind of wonder what's going on inside there. Mm. Um, but no, that, that 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 man, that man. You know what? If you look up the word "cool" in the dictionary, you see a picture of him. <laughs> well, you well, would you know. Actually. David yeah, Law defining yeah. cool on the tennis podcast. There we go. Yeah, that's uh, 
that I, re- I really shouldn't sh- shouldn't sort of tread into that sort of territory, should I? <laughs> Just stay away now. from words like that. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I think that's about it uh, this week, Catherine, for uh, for the tennis podcast. I've, I've quite enjoyed that. We've gone over doubles and we've uh, we've we've created the perfect player. Um, don't know what, what, more don't know what we're going to do? talk about this, next. Yeah. yeah, I think we'll leave it there, shall we? We've peaked. Thanks very much. Uh, we're going to be back next week with more, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you then. Thanks for joining us. So, whose strokes would you have to make the perfect player? Let us know on Twitter, at Tennis Podcast. We'll be back next week to review the WTA finals in Istanbul, preview the Paris Masters, and to talk exclusively to the five-time Wimbledon champion, the coolest man in tennis history, Mr. Bjorn Borg, right here on the Tennis Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 